0: Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. You've probably figured out by now that there's not a lot of law we talk about on this podcast, and that's why you might be wondering, is that really legal? Um, If that's a problem, or if you love it, contact me at isthatreallylegal.com. Go to the website. There's a place to leave comments. Um, Today's guest is J.D. Kelly. He is an actual rock star. Uh, You're going to hear him talk about the fact that we grew up down the street from each other. We went to high school together. He's a little older than me, but we were in a musical together in high school. And we had a lot of interesting and similar experiences involving theater and music. And he is a really gifted musician, singer. Uh, he was in, he would call it a hair band, a couple of bands actually, uh, as we were growing up and then as he went on his own way. And he's had a really interesting journey um, to the point where he's in a band that became very popular in the UK. I think he's got three albums out with that band. He is a producer, he's a writer, he's a great musician. Um, and he's currently the frontman of a band called Eagle Mania, which is the country's premier Eagles tribute band. If you love the Eagles, uh, Eagle Mania is amazing. First of all, they're just a great band. They're an amazing band and they just happen to do Eagle songs. And he's going to talk more about that. Um, The same way that Abe's Muffins are, you know, halogen free, but it doesn't matter. They're just great muffins and cakes um, and brownies. Did I mention the brownies? Freaking amazing. So you want to check out Abe's Muffins. Uh, But at this time, you're going to check out my interview with the very talented and lovely J.D. Kelly. J.D. Kelly, thank you for being here on Is That Really Legal? I'm so thrilled to have you.
1: What a pleasure, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um,
0: You're not my first rock star, but you're certainly (laughs) one of the first. And what's funny is, as you laugh at that. Um, So so, um, as I'll probably say in the intro, I've known you since we were in high school. Um, We grew up about three or four blocks from each other.
1: Massapequa Park. Yep. Right.
0: I do not remember you from before high school, but who mm. knows why. Um, you're two years older than me, I think. Yeah. And um, we went to the same, all the same school. So you went to Parkway Oaks, I'm guessing.
1: No, actually, oh. that's probably why you didn't know me before high school. Oh, where did you go? I I came into Massapequa Park when I was 13. That's, oh, That solves a mystery. Yep. So I went to Mill Lane, and from Mill Lane, I went to Farmingdale High School.
0: All right, Mill Lane Junior High School. By the way, both my elementary school and our junior high school don't even exist anymore.
1: I know. I know. They're they're just gone. I think because we (laughs) were the tail
0: end of the baby boom. Suddenly, like people moved away, didn't have kids, whatever people do or don't do. And then they closed a lot of those schools.
1: Yeah. Kind of weird. It's um, weird and it's sad. Main Street School, some of the old, you know, which was like my dad's era because he went to Farmingdale High School, as did my mom. Oh, um, so like that whole area that's now a shopping center, you know, <laughs> everything, everything changed. Everything changed. I
0: don't know why I suddenly remembered Wallbounds. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Even that, it, it it's, it's gone. <laughs> There's a great guitar store on Main Street in Farmingdale. I had no La- idea. Lacazie's La- <laughs> Music. Yep. There- or something like well-strung guitars is another. Maybe
1: yeah, maybe there was a guy named Al Lacaze, I think was his name, and his son ultimately took it over from him. So maybe his son sold. It was a great little music store down by one of the one of the uh, bars, one of the many bars in Farmingdale. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there were many of those bars that I frequented
0: without ever being carded. When I was like thirteen, my brother was. Eighteen, I guess, and yeah, yeah. I was tall. I was always tall. You were always so.
1: tall. You were always a big. You were Bill Sykes in Oliver. <laughs> you were this hulking character in Oliver, and I that, was the artful Dodger. That was so much fun. That <laughs> it's so funny you bring that up. This is supposed to be about you, but that was such a <laughs>
0: game changer
1: in oh, my yeah. life.
0: I oh, went. Yeah. Well, first of all, I my brother and sister were ahead of me in the school system, and they always played in the pit band or pit orchestra of the musicals. Mm -hmm. So the two musicals that I saw were um, uh, Anything Goes and Damn Yankees. And I fell in love with the idea that I could do that. I mean, I played cello, but I really wanted to be on the stage. And (laughs) we also grew up in a place close to Broadway I mean, you know, it, yeah. it was an hour outside of the city,
1: so we went. Did you go to Broadway shows as a kid? Oh yeah, oh yeah. The first one I went to was a chorus line. Ken Ulrich took a bunch of us into the city. Ken, speaking of life changing and game changing, I
0: think I probably went with you to that show. It's very because I saw it when Original it was cast. in. Its, yeah, <laughs> it was amazing, and, and that was such a groundbreaking show. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, they yeah. talked about being gay. I oh, yeah. talked about tits and Gregory Garden.
1: Gregory Garden was the, was the gay character, and flamboyantly so. I mean, it, it was, not only was it amazing to see the show, but the, the, the music being performed live, it was just, it, it made me want even more to be up on stage. I still wasn't sure if I wanted to get into acting and, and singing on stage or if I wanted to get into music as a singer. So it was right. kind of like you know in in that time it was, it was amazing, just absolutely amazing.
0: There's something about sitting in a theater seat after having had dinner close by, <laughs> and I don't know it's a whole thing for me. And then you start to hear the band yeah. tune up and warm up the pit in yeah. like there, and you're like, I get that feeling. Like it's for me, it's like church. It's like okay, this is going to happen now. This is yes, so exciting, and I have. I yep. am fortunate enough to have, uh, because of my acting stuff, met some people who ended up on Broadway and gone right, to right. see them in things. And but when we were young, like you said, we went to Chorus Line. There was
1: also something called the Westbury Music. Yes, era. there was. <laughs> did you go to that? Like, because I did. Oh, all the time, all the time. In fact, in later years, I went there then some unfortunate cast of characters did the rocky horror picture show there oh dear and these poor people they they were a traveling group traveling troop right. had no idea what they were in for um mm. as far as all the props and all of the audience engagement and there they were trying to but and here's the odd tie-in on this story the fellow who played Frankenfurter, the main character was gregory garden in the chorus line that we saw in the original performance of the chorus. Wow. Line. So, when did you, you know, see that Rocky Horror? Oh, God. It had to be 1979, 1980. Wow. It was around the time it was still playing at the uh, Beth Page Mini. So we would go there for the midnight show. And, you know, for people who haven't been to a Rocky Horror performance, there uh, is a level of audience engagement that was developed over the years with the movie. And people would bring props. And people would react to, verbally react to what was being spoken on the stage. And the impression I got was that the actors who were doing it live at the Westbury Music Fair had no idea. See, I had done a
0: production in Boston as a 40-year-old. Uh, Maybe a little (laughs) older. I was Brad. Can I tell you a quick story about me? Oh, please. don't like this. So, so I had a friend. This was when I was acting semi pro to pro. And uh, a friend said, You got to try out for Rocky Horror. They can't find a Brad, and you'd be great.
1: I was like, I'm a little old. You have the height? Yeah, the whole bit.
0: So, I was like, "Ah, All right. So, she was magenta, and we'd done, we were. Believe it or not, in Oliver together. We were in a couple of other things together. And um so I go to audition and all these much younger guys. Oh, sorry, I gotta turn off my mail so I don't get inundated with that shit. Um, so all these young guys are going and they're like singing like Judas from Jesus Christ superstar, and they yeah. all like have long hair or something. They all look like they almost made it into Pearl Jam. It's kind of the way I look at it. <laughs> and so I'm watching them all do their thing. And I get up there and I, my audition was, I'm thinking, this is what Brad would do. I sang, put on a happy face from,
1: <laughs>
0: from Bye Bye Birdie. <laughs> I sit down and I'm waiting to, thank you, waiting to see the other people. And the director comes over to me and I'm like, oh, this is my thanks for coming in moment. leans in, And he goes, look, I have to see all the rest of these people but you're Brad. So could you please <laughs> go back to wardrobe? Well, that I was, was like awesome. It was awesome and I had 60 seconds of feeling awesome until wardrobe held a bustier up to me. And then oh, I remembered right. yeah, I spent yeah. the whole show almost naked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was in better shape then.
0: <laughs> but it was a terrifying moment. Anyway. What
1: charming underclothes you both had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you,
0: awesome. You'd be a great Frankenfurter. You'd also be a great riffraff.
1: Dude, I, I got pulled over in full Frankenfurter costume in Halloween <laughs> by an Amityville cop for doing like 40 in a, in a 30 in my yellow Volkswagen. I was head to toe, man. I had the wig. <laughs> I had the. I, I can't believe I'm actually saying this publicly. The full deal and the cop, even though it was Halloween, really didn't know where to go with it all. You know, So yeah, yeah. Well, it, was, it was. It was just a great time. Great, great play. Great movie.
0: Well, doing that show, we all knew people were going to be doing stuff, and in fact, we handed out stuff See, for the, people to the right so, play. Just yes. like. Uh, you know, own it. Make, so yeah. I got soaked with water pistols and there <laughs> there was confetti and toilet paper and people screaming lines at me. It's like, anyway. Um, I just know that yeah, I I knew we would talk about theater because I, I think that, uh, you know, as kids, you and I growing up so close to New York and of an era where musical theater was just king. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and Westbury Music Fair... Was like, we'd get real people there. I saw Frank Gorshin in Promises, wow. Promises. Wow. That has never left me. <laughs> never left me. Yep. A, a show that's kind of weird because Burt Backrack is amazing, but mm-hmm. some of the songs are like, that, he's hard. Burt Backrack's hard. He's got like a really lot of hard. time signature changes yes, and key things going on. Yep. But, yep. Great music. I, I want to get back to you. So you grow up in <laughs> in Massive People Park, a town yeah. with which I'm all too familiar. You go to Farmingdale <laughs> High School. You start musical theater. Were you in Damn Yankees as your first show? My first show was actually Anything Goes. Oh, and yep. we both. So I feel like you probably fell in love with Rob Bartlett. During that experience,
1: man, let me, let me tell you something. There are moments in your life when you realize that you are in the presence of greatness and I'm really not trying to polish his apple. The man is. (gasps) I don't think he's listening. (laughs) (laughs) He's so immensely talented. And he, he came from an era at Farmingdale high school where there was a huge pool of talent um, that was, I mean, if you look back on the people that were there at the time, how many of them did go into theater, you know, including yourself? I mean, people that really brought just an amazing, amazing uh, wellspring of ambition and desire and had the chops. I'm going to stop.
0: I just want to say for people who don't know, Rob Bartlett. Went on to be a very successful stand-up comic. He worked as a regular on Don Imus's show for many years. Yep. He had a steady gig as Rob Bartlett and the Bartlets, um, yep. and he
1: also did several Broadway shows. Yes, we saw anyway. him. In, uh, we, we saw him in uh, a couple of things, and he was very, very gracious. Uh, you know, brought us uh, to the stage door and, uh, you know, oh, j- just j- just absolutely an amazing guy. I knew, you know, when you meet some people, you get the energy from them. Um, and he was, to me, he was the coolest guy in the room. It, it, it was just amazing. I still remember,
0: I still remember seeing him in Anything Goes. Now, yeah. at this point, he was probably a junior. Mm-hmm. He had the role of the this is Moon so, so racially. Oh, was he Moon Moan? He was he, oh. he was yeah. then I saw another show. It was Mame. I saw him in uh, Mame. Oh, so
1: yes, that's when he was a junior because he was a senior in anything goes. And he and stole he, was... he stole the show. Oh yeah. Like
0: five lines as the Chinese houseboy. <laughs> he made every entrance about five minutes long. And yes. he and I was like. This is good. Like you know, some high school people are good with her. That guy was bringing professional level comedy.
1: Yes, he was. And and the thing about Rob, there was a symbiosis between he and Ken Ulrich, who was a director and uh, was just that man changed my life. But I think Ken was one of those very important people in so many of our lives that he saw what Rob could be. And he gave Rob enough leash to be experimental and and do these things. He wasn't trying to box him in and as a result, when you watched him up on stage he was he was amazing. he was just amazing. he was it were the good guys were here, the good kids were here. he was just <laughs> in a whole nother place just it, i'm really I'm really very happy and very grateful that I got to spend that year with him being in the same shows you know it, it was it was just great
0: and, and then just, you were the Artful Dodger, which was a very nice part. And I remember you being very great. But at the same time, you had, it was the first rock band I knew of that you were in, you might've been in some others. Mm -hmm. So you're a gifted keyboard player as well as singer. And I specifically remember your rig at the time was this, I think it was from Earth. (laughs) <laughs> Which people I mean you never know who's gonna listen. So Earth used to be known for having these giant bass cabinets. That's my memory. It was,
1: a custom. It was uh, a custom with a K that cut the plus. okay.
0: <laughs> and it was it was like upholstered
1: and the it had a keyboard building. Yeah. Yeah. It was this giant, giant I bought it. There was a keyboard center in the Sunrise Mall. Oh, I worked there. Family Melody Center. That's right. Yes. You bought it from us. That's wild. Bought it. Yep. It was, I believe it was $150 at the time. It was used and it was upholstered. It had that, you know, the plush uh, vinyl on it, black. It looked
0: like a seventies finished basement.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It belonged in a a bar with like that sparkle sprayed ceiling on it. It was one of those things. It weighed about 75 pounds. Um, That's not bad. I had a neighbor, John Starkey, uh, Lived right next door. He actually took me to my very first rehearsal with that. It was so big and so cumbersome. They put it in the back of his landscaping truck. So I showed up at my first rehearsal. I had leaves stuck to my sweater. It, it was it was unbelievable. I was uh, I was 14 years old, 13 or 14 years old, and um, yeah. I remember.
0: Yeah. I don't remember all the things you guys played except two songs that I was like, Wow, this is not your average band. And I listened at the time, you know, I was obviously, everyone loved the Beatles, and I was into Elton John and Neil Young. Sure, sure. But you guys played Allman Brothers. Yeah. And you played Van Morrison.
1: Yep, Moondance was one of our signature songs. Yeah. You
0: guys had a guy playing flute in your band. That guy
1: was Tony White, who is an alumnus of Farmingdale High School, who is just um, an amazing musician.
0: I think we're still friends. We're both friends with him on Facebook.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Tony Tony was a guy who um, did his time in the band with Fred Fiore, the teacher Fred Fiore, uh, was actually um, just a really well-rounded guy who right after high school, he went out to college, but he was the first guy I knew that actually went out on the road and became a musician who toured the country. And he ultimately wound up working with 10,000 Maniacs, I mean, he's just incredibly accomplished. And to this day, um, I'm going to give him a plug, if you don't mind. Tony White music. Tony White music. He does just beautiful. I'm not going to say smooth jazz, though it is, because people have a preconception about that. It's deeper than that. His chops are so profound. He takes melodies and does things that are just incredible. You should feel
0: Free to plug anybody and everything, <laughs> your wife, your daughter's projects. I don't care. I like taking care of my friends. It's understood. Problem.
1: I appreciate that. But Tony, Tony was a real good guy, and yeah, he played. Uh, he played some sax with us. He played some flute. We had a disco band when disco came in. Tony White and Drew Paoli. Um, oh God, the God. names are familiar. I'm like, who was the yeah. guitar
0: player? You had a guitar player in that band too. Oh, I man. who was he had this amazing Les Paul that had like a great cherry sunburst kind of and he played man
1: that was the one and only Eddie Mole Eddie Mole lived over on Prospect Eddie was he was a character I haven't I spoke to him once briefly about 20 years ago and that had been mm. the first time I had spoken to him since uh, high school and just after high school he played a Les Paul Um, He had a Fender Twin reverb amp. I mean, he had the classic rig. And the thing that Eddie had, he was the first guitar player I ever played with who was just so goddamned melodic. He was not about, you know, shredding. And there's a place for shredding. Trust me. He was just, he would bend notes. He made that guitar speak. And he
0: played what was right for the song. And he played like with the Allman Brothers stuff. He played the record, which is what people want to hear when you're doing a cover.
1: Oh, it's all about, yes. At that point, you know, nobody called them tribute bands. They just called them cover bands. The other guitar player in that band was James Benvenuto. And Jimmy was, Ed was that countrified, you know, kind of twangy player. You know, he used to listen to, uh, oh, my God, like real hardcore country. We'd be like, Ed, you need to turn that off because (laughs) I can't, you know. But James was into progressive rock, so James... Uh, Who played a Gretsch? I believe he had a couple of really beautiful guitars, and to this day teaches guitar. He was all about yes, and you know Rush and all this prog rock stuff. So the blend of those two guys in a band was really interesting, really, really interesting.
0: I feel like you got off to a great start there. Oh God,
1: yeah, yeah. By the way, where
0: did you learn to play keyboards? Did you get private lessons?
1: Did you teach yourself? uh, I did teach myself, um, my Uncle Roy, who was my idol, and I'm going to try not to get emotional telling the story. He um, gave me a piano when I was a kid. When I was about uh, seven or eight years old, I used to go to his house. He had a piano downstairs. He lived in Colmack, He worked for Grumman. Um, he had an old Wurlitzer piano downstairs, and he had a beautiful, like a Baldwin Grand upstairs wow. in the living room. And every time I went there, I would sit down and I would play something. I would try to play something that was on the radio. Mm-hmm. And one day I came home, and that piano was in my living room. The Wurlitzer was in my living room. Nobody wow. told me.
0: Wow. And
1: I lost my mind. Lost my mind. And I started to teach myself. So my mother said, you know, there's something to this. Let's get him lessons. So I went to Mr. Bracco, oh, my God, in Smithtown. <laughs> and I took... I took lessons for about six, seven months, and he finally, and I still have the music book here somewhere, literally wrote to my mother, I cannot teach Joseph piano. He hears the song, and he plays it. He's not learning the notes. Now, let's qualify that. He wasn't playing Rachmaninoff. It was, you know, pretty simple melodies, you know, and uh, I I would just play them, and God, he would get angry. He would, you know, like, your your fingering is all wrong and hold you. He was one of these guys who put the ruler under my wrists to get me. to. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) So, uh, yes, I taught myself. And I'm really, I am not a great keyboard player. I can play rock songs. I I only ever got good enough so I could sing and play the piano. That was all I ever wanted to do.
0: Because, you you know, know? in your, I I don't want to miss too many steps. I'll come back to it. But cool. the last thing I saw you perform in was Eagle Mania, which is the premier Eagle tribute band that travels a lot when we're not in a pandemic.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm <used> to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Um, and you really don't play an instrument. You are nope. the lead vocalist. And there's a guy who plays keyboards. And I look, you know, before, oh, the, bef- yeah, before the interview, I decided I-, I didn't even look up at anything in Eagle Mania. I, um, I went to a show and I loved everybody. Right. But I never like read anything about him. Ken and yeah. I are sort of friendly on Facebook,
1: but Ken Darcy, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: But I don't know, like I didn't know how impressive all these guys are. Oh yeah. you're playing with I, yourself included, but the keyboard player is a serious musician who very serious works serious. with like Disney and all oh
1: these. Yeah. he's he's written for TV, and I will let Frank tell you. What his uh, he, he wrote for TV a lot. He wrote for the show that was on HBO that was about the cat house, that was about the uh, I forget what it was called. It, it was about uh,
0: oh, the one about the legal prostitution house. It was like a yes, reality yeah. thing. Yep, I, and I, won't I don't know. I don't either watch either. those kind of things, Joe. I mean, come on, <laughs> what do you take me for? He, he, it's he, the he, bunny ranch or something <laughs> like that. Yes, I've yeah. heard, he, I've heard he, he, that's what it was. <laughs>
1: He is a Nashville guy. He has written uh. for um, some serious, serious country acts, um, and he is an, an incredibly accomplished musician. In fact, but he uh, he sent me something yesterday afternoon. We're going to re-record uh, the Henley song "Boys of Summer," and what he's done is he's re he's reimagined the song, and. I literally sat here last night listening to in the headphones. I, I was so wrapped up in listening to it that I was missing cues that I was supposed to be singing to do the I vocals. hear you. I hear he, you. He's you know, just great.
0: that song, I, I was listening to an interview on another podcast and um, <laughs> Mike Campbell from Tom yeah. Petty's band, he mm-hmm. co-wrote that song, Boys of yeah. Summer. He got a call from a producer who said Don Henley wants a signature song, something that defines him as he's not with the Eagles this time, he's his own guy. He wants something complete. He's got this piece of it. And then he just like co-wrote it with him. And that, you know, what's interesting is that sometimes stuff is in my wheelhouse of taste. Sometimes it's not, but I really have, I mean, it's a great song. I actually like that song a lot. I don't love Mm. every Henley song, but yeah. I have an, I, regardless of whether somebody's in my taste or not, I, I know how hard show business is and every aspect of it is. And I know how hard it is to be a successful musician.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyone who can pull that off has my respect. Honestly. I'll,
1: I'll tell you a story. Years and years ago, I was in a band called the Frankie Carr Band. Um, it was probably the first... First professional band that was going to go someplace, ultimately, you know, only went so far. But at one point, uh, a bass player came in, a guy named Charlie Castro, and we were auditioning drummers because the drummer we had, for whatever reason, uh, he, he wasn't going to be able to do the dates we had planned. So we had some people come in and the guy was uh, playing along on the drums and he turned to Charlie and he said, hey, you know, you're you're a really good bass player. And Charlie said, thanks. I really appreciate it. He said, where'd you learn? And he said, well, my dad, you know, my, my dad was a bass player. And uh, he said, he, you know, he played in wedding bands, you know, when I was a kid and he taught me bass. And the drummer said something to the effect of, oh, oh wow, wedding band, you know, what, what a letdown. You never really made it. And Charlie just very calmly put his bass down and said, let me explain something. He put me, my sister, and my brother through college, okay, put food on the table every night, kept the lights on and clothes on our back, playing in a wedding band. I think he fucking made it. And we all went, <laughs> you know, it's the truth. You know, people have this idea of what a musician is. Half of the world thinks that working musicians are lazy, you know, like a uh, lie abouts. And, and other people who who know musicians that are out there making a dollar and a cent, of this, no, like yourself, it's really hard. It's really yeah. hard.
0: And, and I know that there are people who, Yeah, as I've gotten older, oddly enough, I've expanded my ears. I don't know if that's the phrase I want to use, but I'm listening to things and like, oh, there is something to this rap stuff. It's like I I got a friend to say, I I took aside a friend who's much younger than me, and I said, look, I can't make this journey myself. I'm not going to start looking through random rap artists. Make me a mix of the people you think I would like. Right, right, right. And they're like, here's De La Soul. Here's Missy Elliott, you
1: Missy know. Missy Elliott rocks.
0: Oh, I'm Is totally it worth in love it? with this Let
1: piano. me work it. <laughs> Bang, down, flip it, and it. Killer. killer,
0: Smart, killer. funny, sexy. Yeah. Yep, Um, You know, I, and then I got some old school stuff like NWA, like um, yeah Chuck D with, um uh, oh, what's the Public Enemy? Mm-hmm. And some, just like, a lot of different stuff. So anyway, I don't know how I got off on that tangent. I, I want to talk about how you ended up with what was one of your more successful things, which is from the fire. Is that accurate? Yeah. So, yeah, were you in a lot of bands before from the fire?
1: I was in a few bands, um, mostly cover bands, you know. And I was I was doing some writing and I was trying a few different things. And um, I was uh, doing karaoke one night. I mean, it's a it's it's a. I'll, I'll try to make it as, as short a story as I can. I got time. And um, uh, uh, a drummer named Mike Seattle heard me sing. And Mike is a, an incredible, talk about an accomplished musician, incredible drummer, incredible vocalist. Like my voice, we kind of struck up a friendship, had some common friends. And uh, one day he called me up and he said, I met this songwriter named Nadine Arrell, And she wants to demo some songs. And I think that your voice would really be a compliment to the songs. Would you like to come up to Jersey? and give it a shot. And I had just left my job uh, as a librarian for a stock firm in the, in the, in the city. And I was living in, uh, in Long Island. And I said, you know what, what have I got to lose? Let me go take a look. And the songs were amazing. I mean, just amazing. And we just all kind of gelled. Um, fast forward to later that afternoon, we have to now find the guitar player because we're just gonna go demo these things. We wound up contacting a guy named Tommy Lafferty, who I had been in cover bands with. Uh, and we thought Tommy was in Sweden, touring with Jean Bouvoir. Turns out that Tommy was in New York. He was off the road. Make the long story even shorter. We went out to celebrate that night because Tommy came and he dug the songs as well. We went out and proceeded to get hammered at a place called Spodiodi. And uh, I left at about 1.30 because I had to drive back to the island. My phone rings at three o'clock in the morning and it's Tommy and it's Mike and they are hammered flat. And they say, we have a gig at the Ritz next Wednesday.
0: For people who don't <laughs> know, by the way, the Ritz was one of the clubs in Manhattan oh, yeah. at the time.
1: Oh yeah, now it's, I think it's Webster Hall. Is it still Webster Hall now? I'm trying to remember. Oh
0: Jesus, you're talking <laughs> to a guy who doesn't go out <laughs> to that stuff anymore. I stopped when the limelight was cool. So I don't oh, know. That,
1: yeah, right on. <laughs> <laughs> Now I think it's a
0: restaurant or something. I don't know. Things change.
1: (laughs) Probably, probably. But we wound up uh, doing uh, a gig as From the Fire um, at the Ritz. It was a tribute to Stevie Ray Vaughan, who had passed away in that horrible helicopter crash at around that time. So we got up and we did a set. And when we did the set, we were spotted by an independent label called Metropolis Records. This is the kind of stuff that you only ever read, you know, you dream about happening. Sure actually walked off the stage and these two fellas come up and introduce themselves, Mark, Brian Levine and Steve Martyr. And they said, would you guys like to do a record?
0: No, we couldn't possibly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think I'll be busy. You know, it was just amazing. It, It, we went from leaving that stage to signing contracts a couple of days later to getting on an airplane and going out to Los Angeles and living in Los Angeles for six weeks to do 30 Days and Dirty Nights, our first record. Jean Beauvoir produced it. Jean Bouvoir, for people who don't know, was the man with the blonde mohawk and the plasmatics. Yeah. Um, just an um, amazing musician. How do you
0: explain the plasmatics to people? Uh, Wendy oh Williams, who was a yeah. porn star, was the lead yes. singer. First of yes. all, I haven't thought of the plasmatics in decades. but <laughs> like I know, know, I have a picture of him. Because he played a flying V, I think. We I mean, probably played a lot he, of guitars, but
1: Oh yeah. He's super he was tall um, too. Not really. No, maybe he compared looked, to everybody he, else. Yes. He looked bigger than in real life. He's you know, he's he's about my height, five eight, five nine, something like that. You know. Got but him. he produced the record, um, and it was it was a complete dream, you know. And we came back uh around Christmas time in nineteen ninety. Um ultimately the record was released over in europe and remember this is the pre-internet days um we had no idea the record was a huge success it became what what people consider to be a classic in aor rock we had no idea you know it's funny
0: i read a again to prepare to talk to you it's very funny on one level i was like i don't need to prepare to talk to jd i (laughs) so i know him personally we we literally had brunch we broken bread in recently. October. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. But th- we, there was a gap, a pretty long gap. So I was yeah. like, "Well, I, you know, let me." I wanted to listen to some of your music, uh, which I did, and I read a Newsday article that they did um, when you released the last "Into the Fire," the most recent "Into the Fire." There was a Newsday article it, on you about getting the yeah, band that, together, sort of.
1: It was "Evil Men Do." We did in uh, two
0: thousand fourteen, and. It's amazing how quickly time goes by cuz that feels like that was just yesterday. Yeah, um, yeah, it does. They talk about how your band had the unfortunate lack of luck that grunge happened when you guys yeah. were really I don't I mean, I don't I don't know about the term hair band. When I listen to your band, I think of a mixture of like Journey and Bon Jovi is what yeah. it sounds like to me. Yeah, I, if you have to pigeonhole, which I'm not, you know, we don't have to. But it's very arena rock. It's very rock ballad. It's a very upbeat, exciting, and it's the exact antithesis of Nirvana. And when yeah. Nirvana and you know their ilk hit, not not that there's anything wrong with them. They're amazing. No, no. But absolutely. when but tastes shift, you know, like Bobby Vinton is still angry at the Beatles. <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, people just. Yeah things happen, you know, and Herman and, and, you know, Herman and the Hermits are still happy about the Beatles. It's just, you get, you get lucky or not. And you still had three albums with that band. Yeah. Um, One one on the way. Oh, (laughs) and and musically, uh, musically, you guys are incredibly solid. The, the drumming and the guitar parts are fantastic. I mean, this is a quality band and your voice is fantastic holly my wife was cooking dinner and i played the i guess what would be the hit off of the last album and she was digging it my holly loves journey she's from right. the west coast from the bay area and right, she's right. got a thing for journey so it's right in yeah. her wheelhouse i, I so I, I, kids if you want to look up and download um <laughs> you can find them wherever fine albums are Downloaded? <laughs> God, I'm so old. I, you know, it's like. Uh, Tell me about it. From it's, the flyer, I I got yeah. it on Apple Music. I, do you remember? Okay, this is the this is old guys talking about old crap. There, when we were growing up in Massapequa Park, Park, um, there was a place called White's on Sunrise Highway and TSS maybe in Times Square
1: stores. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And then we got a Sam Goody, and see i remember world
1: changed
0: i remember going to the record store as a kid and buying 45s right and or stealing my brother and sisters like you know my they had what i consider amazing you know diana ross and the supremes all the early beatles beach boys you know all that stuff and the first 45 of my own that i bought was tommy james and the Shondells' crimson and clover
1: are you shitting me? Because that was my first 45.
0: Are you serious? I'm dead serious. I was like, what are they doing with the, it was not, you know, with the flipping?
1: <laughs> yeah. I was like,
0: I only bought it because I looked at the chart. And I was like, number, it's the number one single. I yeah. guess that's the one I'm buying. And the
1: flip side was sweet cherry wine, right? Yeah, and <laughs> that's, that's hysterical. <laughs> and,
0: and what's interesting is that I bought so many strange 45s. Yeah, like I, I, you know, bat Midler, um Midler. Uh, oh crap! There was a bat Midler. A Bu- Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy was like, a single okay,
1: album now, you, you're taking me down some really incredible, really incredible avenues. That song, when Mike Seattle, Tommy Lafferty, and I would get together and drink, without fail, at some point, I would say, "He was done," and they would just jump out in, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, if and A. P. And here's these three long-haired rock dudes in leather with chains and, you know, jewelry hanging off of us singing. It's great Andrew's music, sisters. though, right? But It
0: is. It's amazing. I mean, the Andrews sisters were the number one female vocal group for decades. They were incredible. Decades. And, and that's, you know, when musicians, I'm going to throw myself into it. I'll just say I'm a musician, too. When musicians get together... They don't care about the boxes we put each other in for marketing purposes. No. no. They just know the good music. Yep. You know, um, I just watched with Holly this uh, Ken Burns country music documentary that's like mm-hmm. eight. I think we talked about this at brunch. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I was blown away by how much the crossover between black artists and white artists of very different things get together and they meet in country. Yeah. Um, It's just a whole, people just, musicians love music. Uh, Who was, somebody was um, talking about Paul McCartney. Oh, it was um, James Carden, is that his name, the guy with The Late Mm -hmm. Show? Yes,
1: yes, yes. Uh He had
0: a kid, he named him McCartney or something. Uh And there was some story, I'm not gonna steal the story, but ultimately, there was something about texting happening between Paul McCartney and um, Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. And I love that I live in a world where now I know that Willie Nelson has Paul McCartney's phone number and that they text <laughs> each other. I just I'm happy yeah. about yep.
1: that. Yeah, as, uh, as you should be. You know, th- there's a thing that happens when when musicians get together, especially musicians that have reached the heights that that McCartney and and Willie Nelson have to get there to be you have to be so open minded I don't I don't know too many I don't know a whole lot of super famous people I really don't the ones that I do know the ones that are on the way there are not closed minded about anything to do with music they see something joyous in all of it and it's just you know that that that's the type of that's the type of energy you want to be around when I hear somebody say oh you know fuck jazz <laughs> oh man! You know, I, I just... Yeah, I just can't. I go. Why? Why would you say that? You know, I still
0: go to see jazz. I don't even know anything about it. I just, yeah, you I don't have, have to,
1: right? You it don't makes, have to. Yeah, it makes you happy. It's like banjo music. How can you? The Steve Martin said, "You can't be depressed around banjo music." Jazz is just glorious. You no, know, I was like,
0: I, I in a previous marriage. Uh, The person I was married to was in the music business for a while, and I got to meet some people. Two people who I met who blew me away were Dave Wakeling, who was the singer and guitar player for the English Beat, like Mirror in the Bathroom, whatever. Here's a guy who was playing arenas. By the time I saw him, he had a different band. He still was called the English Beat. He was driving around the United States in a bus playing clubs, selling out clubs. Right. People who were crazy happy to see him. Yeah. He's still playing the hits and still great at it. Right. Um, and talk about a guy who crossed genres because you know, ska is such a skiffle and ska. Right. And then another guy is a guy named Marshall Crenshaw. Marshall Crenshaw, fantastic singer, songwriter. He's written for the
1: train never coming back. Is that him? Mm, I, he might Another have co-written it, it with those guys. yeah
0: Yep. Uh he co-wrote a gin blossom cool, song. "Cool to called, be kind. No, that's Nick Lowe.
1: Okay. But um right she,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Gee, that uh, Gin Blossom song and I'm um, Until I Hear It From You, he co-wrote that. I mean, someday, some way was one of the biggest hits he had. It was like a that's rockabilly thing.
1: Okay. Yes.
0: And um again, started in arenas, playing small clubs. Uh but he would do like strange covers in his show like he mm. did abba's knowing me knowing you and not like wow. sarcastically like a Enjoying great song it. yeah yeah <laughs> and kill it by the way
1: <laughs> yeah it's I, know, it's music man it's exactly exactly and uh, again if if you if you are open-minded enough to take a song like that and reimagine it and make it your own which is really kind of a, a cliche thing to say, give it a different interpretation. You, you could never take a song and make it your own. Once people have it imprinted in their brain, you know, it's impossible. Unless uh, yeah. they've never heard it before, you know. I, I but can't to do imagine. that, you know, that takes a level of uh, of love for the song. You have to really feel something to do that. It can't be like, we need another song for the third set. <laughs> yeah, you know, that You know, no. you have to love what you're doing.
0: Well, I and that's a great transition to talk to you about Eagle Mania. Now, by the way, I feel like, I know it's already we've been on a while and, but I Ain't this no is, we, we I know we we could hang for many hours and we might have <laughs> you back. I don't care. Um my sponsor, Abe's Muffins, doesn't care. Um, they really don't. Um but you you spend some time between bands doing your you have a family business. You're yeah. you're very you're one of those guys who you know, in high school, we were very different people. We we got back together via social media, one of the few pluses right. of social media. And you were just like the happiest. You're one of the happiest people I know. Seriously, <laughs> you've had some life stuff happen and you saw, oh, I get what matters. I'm yeah. going to chase what matters. Or yeah, For sure. And, and so you have a lovely wife, lovely kids, great family you enjoy doing what you do when you're not doing music you just enjoy doing what you do whatever it is it feels like to me is that accurate
1: it's accurate you know i i came to the realization that life is the greatest gift that none of us ever asked for we have no say in being here we have no say in that we have to leave someday you know, and, and again, it sounds cliche, but it, it, it means a lot to me that it's really about what you do with the in between, you know, and I have been in some dark places, I, you know, I struggled with addiction. I did a lot of things that um, had I had the opportunity to not do them again, knowing what I know now, <laughs> I would I would do it. Yeah, but they made um, you who
0: you are, right? It's kind of weird. That's Exactly.
1: But. it. it's very true. You know, I mean, just to touch briefly on that whole addiction thing, I was never, never in a position where I did not have clean clothes. I always had food. I always had money in the bank. My, my bottom, where I crashed, was remarkably soft and, and comfortable. I just realized that I was going to die if I kept on the path I was at. But there's an appreciation for life. And why not live life happily? Why yeah. not look at the positive thing? Don't dwell on the negative. And that's helped me a lot over the past four years. You know, just try to find <laughs> out. You know, I was right? like, for a second, I was like,
0: four <laughs> years. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, wow. <laughs> that thing. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> I got to tell you, so January is so close to being here. But anyway, I digress. Uh, yeah. I, yes. I, when we first remet, I saw you at Eagle Mania and you were, it was so sweet to see you. And it was sweet to see several of our other friends from high school. You met my yes. beautiful wife. Yes, um,
1: and Holly is amazing. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Talk and, about
1: happy. Oh my God. Yeah.
0: she's. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I learned that um, picking a happy partner is really important. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and also, well, I don't want to go into me. So, but what was really cool was I hadn't heard Eagle mania. I loved the Eagles growing up. Um, as you know, they were part of the soundtrack of my adolescence of mo- most of us. Holly right. loves the Eagles. So I said, let's yeah. go to this thing. She's like, yeah, let's do it. Love the venue, which was the wine, the winery. wine.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The wine venue. Oh my um, God. Yeah. Gone the, now, by the way. Oh, uh, well, it's. I have to put a qualifier. They they sold it to Disney, who's was developing some kind of thing in the area. Oh. They are relocating. There will be another New okay. York point. So that yeah. was the
0: one at Varick Street in um, right. Soho. Yeah. So yep. you guys take the stage, and I'm I'm not shining it up. You guys blew me away. Well, you 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 and all of you, there was. There's no weak link in that band. No. There's no weak no. link in the performance every song is like, Oh my God, they're playing this song. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) Um, because I'm a guitar geek, not, I'm not a great guitar player, but I love guitars. And your lead guitar player has about 80 (laughs) guitars on stage. He
1: is. He needs them all. (laughs) He does. John Gector is, he is the closest thing to, I'm, I'm not going to use the word, uh, savant he, he, he he's just brilliantly connected to that instrument you know yeah. he is he's just he just jumps in there um and knows the pieces and the parts he's not only playing the guitar he's built those guitars
0: yeah, there uh, he he clearly knows what he's doing and what's what's awesome is when you can go to a performance and not worry you know, all the years I did stand-up. Or I wait, was in wait
1: Wait, 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 wait. You, you did what?
0: Oh, yeah, I did stand-up. We you won't did. talk about that here. I, I opened talk. for some pretty... That's a whole... You and I will talk about that off sometime. I can't wait. Uh, I, I, I like to tell people I was such a good stand-up that I'm a lawyer. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's a whole other lifetime. But... um. There's times when you're sitting there and you're watching someone, it's like watching a trapeze artist and you're like, I'm really worried for this person. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a fun time. No, it's much scary. more fun when like the first time somebody comes out there and they nail the first song or the first joke where you're like, okay, I'm right. going to have fun. I don't have to worry right. about them. Yeah. Um, so you guys came out, I don't know what your first song was, but I was like, oh, this is going to be great.
1: It's, uh, it's a long run. Oh. Uh, great yeah the long run yep
0: y- you know you well forget me talking about all this stuff what drew you to this How, well first of all how'd you get the gig what made you say i want to be the front guy of evil mania
1: <laughs> i was uh i had gone over to the uk with from the fire in 2016 um it was a different lineup it's tommy lafferty myself and uh A few good friends, and we went over and played at a festival called Rockingham, came back from that festival and realized that the opportunities for us to make any kind of money with From the Fire were pretty much not going to happen anytime soon. I really wanted to be in a band that was going to be out there playing. So we decided to put together an Elton John tribute with the lineup of From the Fire, save for Tommy Lafferty, who lives on the West Coast. So just it couldn't have happened. So we started rehearsing the uh, the Elton John band, and I have to tell you, it was really not going well because the people in the band, you know, we're all adults. People have children. People have commitments. You know, it was really hard, and sometimes that happens in bands. You get a couple people who really want it, and you have other people who have other things that they need to do uh, for their families. I've and been you there. Just have to <laughs> say, oh, I'm sure you have. And you just have to <laughs> respectfully say, okay, I get that, and you just kind of try to adjust. So while all this was going on, I was literally in my, I was actually in my garage making a grand piano shell to put my electronic piano into. So it would look like a grand piano up on stage when the phone rings. And it's my friend, Paul Cooper, who's a drummer in a Led Zeppelin tribute called Kashmir touring the country. Phenomenal. If you get a chance, I mean, I know there's other Led Zeppelin tributes as there are other Eagles tributes. They're amazing. They're amazing. So, Coop called me up and he said, uh, and this is how Coop talks, listen, there's a band called the Eagle Mania. They do the Eagles and their singer just quit. And I told him that they should give you a call. I hope you're not pissed. And I was I <laughs> was pissed. I was. I was like, Why would you do that? I'm trying to get the Selton thing. You know? <laughs> he said, Listen, just just go look at their website and the manager's gonna call you. Where is he from, by true. the way? He's from the island, right? I mean- no, he's not. He's from Westchester. Oh, he sounds like, okay. I, I I know him. I know him for a thousand years. He's wow, an amazing a, drummer and a good guy. Awesome. So I went online and I looked at their website and I spoke to their manager. And then I spoke to Frank Marino. And when I realized that this door was opening up for me to live a bit of a dream, you know, they were a nationally touring act. They had all these gigs booked. Their, their singer, for whatever reason, uh, wanted to get out of the band and go do something else, and uh, as a result, I wound up in Eagle Mania. and it's it's been amazing. Uh, At t- least t- until March thirteenth, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: having seen the show and then also following you guys as a fan, um, you know, I I would say the show is really a quality show. Um, great players, great song selection, and you guys play some great venues. It's not like just a few clubs. I mean,
1: you guys, why don't you tell me you played some seriously awesome theaters? It's it, it is amazing to me. Um, we toured into Wisconsin, we've gone out to Oregon, we've you know been all over the country. And uh, while I'm telling you this, my heart is breaking because a lot of these places are now shuttered. Yeah. Because they, you know, they couldn't survive. Though I, I will tell you one story where it really kind of like sank into my bones what it was we were doing. We played a place called the Grand Theater in Wisconsin, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And uh, this place was built in the late eighteen hundreds. It had been completely and utterly restored, down to the last, you know, finial on the curtain rods. I mean, everything. <laughs> The carpet had been replicated. I mean, everything. And I knew none of this when we got to the venue because we came in through the back door. We get there for sound check, usually late afternoon so we can set up and do what we have to do. And I walk in and it's uh, getting kind of dark because it was toward the winter time. And there were these green arrows on the floor, you know, these little glow-in-the-dark like, arrows. Right. And I follow them up to the front of the stage and I look up and I see this 2,000-seat theater that we'd Whoa. sold out. Whoa. I mean with balconies and terraces going up into the sky. And there were there was planets and stars painted on the ceiling. Uh. And I literally wept. I stood there and I wept because it was just the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And at that moment, had I died, I would have been cool with it. <laughs> I would have, you know, I would have lived. So we played places like that. And and again, it's just um. I think the the takeaway from all this, everyone in that band, uh, the sound man, Dan Seif, the uh, guitar tech, Matt Mead, the drum tech, Eric Schnee, everybody to a person knows exactly how lucky we are to be doing that, you know? And it breaks our heart that now all of these places, they're dark until all of this gets sorted.
0: Any news... um from anywhere that people are excited because the vaccine is starting to happen. I mean, you and I both know that it's, it's going to take some time.
1: It really is. And what keeps happening and, you know, we've kind of become, we've kind of developed a callus around our heart when it comes to this is that gigs keep getting booked and gigs keep getting canceled or rescheduled. They shouldn't say canceled, they get rescheduled. If things go to plan uh, toward the latter part of the summer, 2021, we are going to be hysterically busy. That would be I great. Mean, you know, it, it would be great because, again, um, you know, like you said before, I have a day gig. Most of the guys in the band, I mean, God bless us, some of us are retired, some of us have a, a, a day job to fall back on or an income stream to fall back on. The people that we dealt with hand in glove in all the theaters did not. So, oh, yeah, I those... Mean, I, Oh, it's it's heartbreaking. I see what's going on with Disney, and I don't want to bring it down into this, but these poor people and dear friends that worked at the, in Tampa at Busch Gardens, the sound people, the light people, these are top-shelf people. These are not hobbyists. These are people who dedicated their lives to this, and they're out of a job. Hey, you know? I,
0: I I hear you. I have friends who are Broadway actors who reached the pinnacle oh, of their yeah. career. I mean, I saw a guy... I was in a professional production of Into the Woods. And then wow. several of those people went, I know it was the, one of the greatest things ever. Uh, the woman who played uh, Little Red Riding Hood ended up in Mamma Mia for a long time and then Avenue Q. The Guy was the baker, went to Avenue Q. Then he went to uh, some couple other shows and I saw him in Once, um, wow. which is a great show. You know, the movie they made into a musical, which was phenomenal. Um, And all these people who I think are just the cat's ass are sitting in Astoria, Queens, in their apartments, you know, making videos. I don't know what they're doing, but um, it's we're all waiting for things. You know, thank God I've been the busiest I've ever been, uh, which is insane. Well, there's a lot – with certain, it's a tremendous uh, opportunity for not nice people to take advantage of my clients. So mm. I'm trying to do so that, but I've also, I've done some showbiz things, I, an uh, independent filmmaker, we got a distribution deal for them. I'm in the process of trying to make a documentary deal happen. We can talk about that another time. But anyway, so I've been I'm busy, but I've also made sure Holly's busy. We've been making sure to support everybody in anything we can. We're not going to blow my own horn. We're giving money to food right banks on. and whatever. Well, you got yeah. to. I mean, I don't, I don't understand those who don't because I feel so incredibly blessed. But also, yeah. it sounds very New York y Brooklyn like we get a lot of takeout from our local places. But truth be told, I, I, I want these places to be here.
1: And if sure I don't order do. takeout,
0: they're going to be gone. That's right. And by the way, all those people have jobs. It's not a hobby. <laughs> like there's yeah, some well, great chefs. There are great owners. There are yes. great staff, all these people that need to yep. work. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's I'll, my one political thing is that I have a lot of friends in Europe who are a lot less worried because their governments understand and they're taking mm-hmm. care of the people knowing this is temporary. This is right. what you pay taxes for. We'll pay you to stay home or we'll support your business to do what has to happen And guess what? A lot less people die and you have a lot less other trauma. We're going to have a housing crisis here. We're going to have a lot of problems, not just because of the disease, but because of incredible political inaction. And we both know what I'm talking about.
1: All right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So you're in the studio, you're literally in the studio talking to me from your studio. Yes. Um, Yeah. What
1: my little humble Lilia.
0: (laughs) No, I, it's, uh, fantastic you use pro tools or what do you yeah using
1: pro tools um i i had to put the brakes on this <laughs> i've been well, doing this a lot tonight for some reason right. well Screening people
0: like people are not going to see this we just do the audio so what oh, cool. so people <laughs> don't know joe is sitting in front of what we you know like a recording board and computers because we're in the <laughs> 21st century but it also looks a little like uh, a really nice panel basement and you oh, know yeah, like
1: this, mm-hmm. i mean it yes, just looks
0: like a long island suburban recording studio which yeah. is not a put down that like makes me no, feel wonderful <laughs> it's probably crazy comfortable in there
1: it, it is it's it's a uh, part of the basement it's it's um this room has been a lot of things it was a it was a home theater then it became a slot car and model car collecting room and then um it became recording studio and the thing with, with the recording here is it's really geared toward demoing songs I've written or doing vocals for people or doing vocals for, you know, different projects. It's a very slippery slope with Pro Tools, which is an amazing platform. You can do all kinds of things with virtual instruments. You can also record real instruments into it. But what you find yourself doing is you start to chase sounds and production values, and that steers you away from just writing a good song. You know, a good song you can play on a piano or play on a guitar. And I might say, you sent me something that we are going to record, my friend. We <laughs> are going to record. But that's the truth of it. That's the truth of it. You can't, you know, I, I can do things here that are fun. I can make some very funny sounds. And sometimes the sounds will inspire you in a synthesizer or whatever. But this is really just set up to do basic vocal recording and tracking stuff like that. So, yeah. Oh,
0: that's cool. I, I want to back up. You said stuff about car collecting and slot cars. Did you ever do like big size slot car racing on sunrise highway? There was a place or. Oh re- my God.
1: Yeah. When I was a kid, I mean, back in the sixties, um, slot cars were the bomb. That was a, you know, slot cars were there were slot car places in every town. Um, and what happened was you had two classes of slot car guys. God, I'm such a geek. You had the guys. No, I asked because a... I because <laughs> I have
0: great memories. My father made a couple of great slot car models. So you could yes. make, you know, like Revell was the model company. Yeah, Revelle and you buy Brandram. the chassis. Yeah. And I yep. still remember to this day, my father made a Ferrari GT 350, uh, painted it that red with the decals.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah.
0: And there was a white Jaguar uh, right. with the fin thing behind the driver. A, I don't know.
1: A, a D-type, Jaguar D-type. That's the car that won Le Mans. Yep.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> you're talking to an, another geek who appreciates this. But, <laughs> so, And I remember loving going into that place and seeing, oh, yeah. like, maybe eight cars could race at the same time or 16. Yep. It was, like, a very
1: big track. And they it had big a, tracks, yep. Very cool with bridges and anyway, some, yep. They, they used to set those places up. All of those tracks were handmade to order custom order. They were usually flake board that was hand routed. They would put copper braiding for the conducting, you know, of, of, of the electricity to the cars. Wow. What happened with the hobby though, which turned me off to it was that kids like me and hobbyists like your dad, we would build these beautiful ornate replicas that we would race. And, It was a gas to watch them go around the track looking like a Jaguar D-type or Ferrari, you know. But what would happen is that these other guys would come in, and they were all about the speed and the hardcore go-fast. And they had these little uh, Lexan-bodied wedge-shaped rockets, you know. And they Uh would build their frames out of brass tubing, and they would solder them, and they would rewind their own motors. And they would make these things that would just be a blur going around the track. So it kind of took the joy out of it. So what happened was that at around the same time, home racing became very big. Uh, Aurora yeah. and when we were Stromberg. And, yes. Sure. So, so that's kind of what I did here is I got, I got into those little slot cars. I have a track that comes down out of the ceiling here and I still, you know. Do cool. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just,
0: I'm like, so, you know, I'll be 60 next year and I'm like, have this gleeful. That's so Cool.
1: You have to come out, man. You have Same like out. trains.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm not oh, a trains, trains guy, but they yeah. are. There's something about when you grow up with certain things. Right. They Look, I love having an iPhone. I love that I can talk to you on my Mac Air. That's great. But I would love to slot car race with somebody. You know, like I would love. Out, man. I would will. <laughs> well, I will. You know, as you and I said, we had a uh, brunch with our wives on my on Holly's birthday in October. Right. right. Uh, we just have to ride out this pandemic a little bit before Absolutely. we can do some stuff. But yeah, I'm definitely I'm it's writing more songs. Soon. I'm yep. uh we're doing look, we're just gonna keep moving forward with our lives and then we'll have them intersect again as soon as we can. This uh, one. um Eagle Mania, as soon as you guys are booking things, tell me I'll put it up on the website. Uh, for is that sure. really com, And uh, we'll also just, well, I'd, I'd love to have the whole band on. The problem is you'll all talk at once. That could be difficult.
1: <laughs> um, we could probably pull that off. <laughs> I think they'd love to. I think they'd love to. Uh, we're, there... Right now, we're working on a, yeah. well, we're doing a Christmas song, the Christmas song that uh, Don Henley and the Eagles made famous. We're just uh, probably going to release that, uh, like sort of a Zoom video over the next couple of days. Nice. That, and, uh, yeah, so we're trying to fill the gap in between now and, you know, being out there again. I have That's to some, say that creativity. I'm
0: really impressed with how musicians have brought forward their work during the pandemic. Most mm-hmm. of them I've been really impressed by. Um, I think that, you know, there have, there have certainly been high points to go with the low points. And I'm hoping that sure. in a few years we'll look back at those much more than some of the low points.
1: We will. We certainly will.
0: You're That's uh my mind. You guys are doing good though where you are.
1: You and the family are good. We're doing great. We're doing great. And you know, it, it's a uh, I I think that we have struck a very cautious and very diligent balance between locking ourselves away and having to go out into the world to do what we do to, you know, keep our lights on. Um again, very fortunate uh, that we have that ability to do that. I know a lot of people don't. Um, but what we're doing right now is just um, being very careful. Um, you know, Johanna is in her senior year, so she's just wrapping up uh, what is an incredibly interesting school year with all the remote learning, right. all the things she's been doing. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, thank God, really no, no complaints. No complaints. We're all still here. You know? Good,
0: yeah. We, I think we feel the same way. Um, Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about this time around?
1: Uh, Not really. i got a couple albums coming out in the early part of 2021 that that are exciting. (laughs) Tell me. Um, (laughs) We're doing, uh, well, I hooked up with a label called um, Boulevard AOR, AOR Boulevard Records, rather, in in, in the UK. Um, We're doing a compilation album called Santa Ana Wins Two. I do seven tracks on that. It's a 10-track album along with a fellow named Stevie James and a vocalist named Victoria Jackson. And we're doing uh, covers of songs that some people will know some of the songs. Some people will never have heard them before. And it's, it's just a really cool album. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm doing a solo album, my first solo album. And that'll be out in January as well. January, February.
0: Are you producing that yourself?
1: No, this is being done by uh, Paul Mitch Rudland, is his name, with a uh, IOR Boulevard Records, and Dave Draper is the actual producer. Uh, Dave is amazing, amazing. And again, Pro Tools, man, I can do my stuff here. Send it over to the UK, and everybody over in the UK is, you know, socially distancing. They're all in their home studios an amazing band of musicians and I'm just, I'm thrilled. I can't wait for it to be out. I've heard the rough mixes of my album. Uh, Santa Ana Winds is completely done. Um, they're just waiting for the lockdown to ease up a little bit so they can actually print. Because over there, contrary to here, people want that CD in their hands. They want the booklet to look through. They want to look wow. at the photos, you know. I miss that. So that's a whole different uh, ethos. Oh, me too. Me too. I miss a, the record.
0: I miss the record. I mean, I don't want a record yeah. player to be honest, and I don't want records all over the place, but I do miss do yourself like, a it, favor. Yeah.
1: Check yourself on that and do it because I know you, you of all of my friends will lose your mind. There is something about the ritual of taking a record out of the sleeve and putting it on the turntable and making sure it's not dusty, you know, and all of that and the warmth of a record, the analog warmth of that sound—you will be 15 years old again, standing in front of your mom's stereo speakers. I'm telling <laughs> you, you need to do it. You need to do it. Look, <laughs> I remember,
0: I remember certain albums when I bought them that were just life changing. I mean, oh yeah, Yellow Brick Road, Honky oh, yeah. oh, Chateau, God, big time, big time. Uh, Born to Run, Darkness. Yep. If these were, like, I remember buying them, putting them on. Yeah, I'm wearing headphones now. Putting on headphones because either I didn't want anybody else to hear or nobody was home yet and I I wanted to hear anybody. And sitting there and re-listening to the albums over and over again. So I hear you. That's what I need, though, Joe. You
1: should do it. To to spend...
0: Spend some money on Holly's some high <laughs> What's what's
1: this on our Here's United thing, card? You don't, you don't have to. You don't that? have to what?
0: What's the, uh, what's this on our United card, honey? Three thousand dollars to what? <laughs> How many records? You don't records? have
1: to go. You don't have to go for that kind of. You don't have to go for that kind of crazy money. You really don't. You can pick up a turntable for around hundred bucks. You can buy an app for not a lot of money. You know, you don't have to go with that whole high-fi route because I'm telling you that the experience, especially after years of listening to CDs mm-hmm. and downloads, you your jaw is going to drop. And you can go to a thrift store, which is what I do, and I buy my albums there.
0: You're, you're generally a good guy, but I feel like you're evil in this moment because you're making this all. <laughs> but remember, I live in Brooklyn, so there right. is a coffee shop. There's a place near me, excuse uh-huh. me, called Black and Gold sure. that sells. Coffee, what? taxidermy, and LPs. Yes!
1: <laughs> I I shit you not. Look, Look it up. I think it's coffee taxable. stuffed animals, and that's hysterical. No, well, taxidermy, Joe. Please, come on. Yes, it's, uh, <laughs>
0: not, but uh, I think they're still there. And by saying I, they have a barista, I mean it's it's a coffee shop. Uh, right,
1: right. Well, you post these pictures of gold. these delectable treats. Oh. Like every day you'll say breakfast in Brooklyn Oh yeah. and my mouth was because I'm always on a diet and you're killing me. So, all right. So now we're even now we're even I'm talking you went to buying a record player. Yeah. You talk me into Blinces, and
0: they're in Court Street <laughs> in Brooklyn and it's called Black Gold Records. And it's a cozy wow. shop with a vintage vibe with records. There you go. Cross genres and coffee and antiques. It's it's very wow. Brooklyn. When you guys come out. <laughs> We'll we'll have to have you come out, and we'll—I'll take you there because if we can get you some records, I'll. Sounds good
1: to me. (laughs) So this was a
0: a treat. Jesus, I don't know what that sound was. Oh, anyway, (laughs) no, no, it's fine. (laughs) I'm in a one bedroom. We moved from our two bedroom to a one bedroom, so things are a little tighter because we're fixing up our house.
1: But getting some work done, I heard. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm glad we got time to just. Hang out and I learned a little more Me about too, you. Man. And uh Me too, and you people get a chance to learn about comedy. you. Jesus. But, no, really, let's not. Um <laughs> I'm glad you are staying away from the law so we don't talk about any legal issues. That's good. I'm, and I'm really excited for the albums. <laughs> are you going to be doing a, a letting people know when the albums drop? Of course you will, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And there's talk of playing some festivals over in uh, Germany and Sweden. Um, So if that comes down, I'm going to be tapping on my brothers in Eagle Mania to, you know, maybe take the trip over there to do that. So so it's exciting.
0: I love Germany.
1: Uh, Me too. Where do you Me too. What
0: are your favorite places or some of your favorite? Uh,
1: I've only ever been I've only ever been to Nuremberg. Uh, The reason I was there was that when we did the magazine, I used to publish a hobby magazine. We would go to the International Toy Fair at the Spielwarenmesse in, in, in Nuremberg. And we got a chance to, uh, I, I went there three years in a row and we got a chance to not only see the modern part of it, but to walk through the old town. And it was just amazing. It was, that was life-changing. So I love, I would love to explore more of it. I would love to explore more of uh, Europe altogether. And I hope to do it. I really Me do. too. Holly,
0: Holly opened my eyes to travel. I've been to Hamburg to... Cologne, Switzerland. Uh, I
1: can't wait for that. Italy. Ken Darcy went there. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I I eat way too much. But also, it's just beautiful. And then when you see how people live there, you're like, oh, this is not terrible.
1: (laughs) No, it's not. It kind of makes you look around and go, What the hell have I been thinking? But you know, it's a cultural thing. We're told to do, you know, live a certain way, and we do it. You know, over there, it's no. Over there, to have a glass of wine. Look at the clouds. Take a deep breath. You know, it's all good. <laughs> it's,
0: it's really good. Joe, thanks for coming on. Is that really legal? I really best, appreciate brother.
1: it. I love you. Give my love to Holly. And um, I hope to talk to you soon.
0: Love you too. Take care. Now, wasn't that fun and fantastic? Um, I love JD, you know, I've known him a long time, but we have only recently become closer friends, and I'm really thrilled that that's the case, Um, and I hope you enjoyed hearing from him as much as I enjoy hanging out with him. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the show, and I hope you're well. Are you wearing a mask? Are you taking care of yourself and taking care of others? Please do that. Um, If you have any questions or comments, go to isthatreallylegal.com. By the way, I'm looking into creating some merch. If you're interested, uh, you know, contact me again at the website. Also, look for Abe's muffins. They're tasty, they won't kill you. That's not their line, but that's my line. Um, and they come in a lot of great flavors and they're not just muffins. They got brownies, they got coffee cake. Come on, just eat that stuff, it's so good. Um, be well, take care of yourselves, take care of each other